Hello and welcome back to It's Not That Deep, the only podcast where we have the audacity to vanish on a year-long hiatus without any warning and then just crawl back and hope that none of our audience notice. In fairness, I was the main editor and I did start a new job that was very strenuous, but now, thanks to the incident, I have no job. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a job. A little bit of a job, but much less job because of... The global incident. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Backstreet Boys reunion toys wreaking havoc on the world economy. So today we're going back to a time when everyone had to constantly worry about diseases because there was no real understanding And vaccines of health. were just a twinkle in a milkmaid's eye. Exactly. We're going back to the Pride and Prejudice times. It's Jane Austen, guys. Shall we talk a little bit about who Jane Austen was? And what Pride and Prejudice is. I feel called out because I'm kind of technically a professional historian and I know nothing. I know even nothing because like Pride and Prejudice is the only Jane Austen book that I have read. Oh, who is MC this time? I, I'm like officially taking on the Master of Ceremonies role, but to be real, like... Is that all what MC stands for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Really? Um, okay, so this was quite fun because so... like a year ago we decided we ought to do... Jane Austen generally, not just Pride and Prejudice. Mm. And so we ordered Thomas to read Pride and Prejudice and it took him a long time and we all dragged him for how slow he was. Yeah, I'm not a fast reader. I spent all of my brain cells while I was in my formative years like playing Minecraft and watching (laughs) instant gratification YouTube videos rather than developing an attention span. But his Undertale fanfiction is going very well. But the main thing that I would say... He's making, like, throat cuts. I tried to, to, um... One thing I tried to do was explain Jane Austen to Thomas in a kid-friendly way by taking him to see a Jane Austen play. I was but a small child of 19 years old. Of 19 years old. Um, And um, my good friend Amy Kwan, shout out to him, is um, and was in the play. Uh, She's a great actress. You should definitely Mm. check out her stuff. But we went to see her in Pride and Prejudice and um, it was pretty good. It was it was really interesting because I think it it made a lot of connections with uh, contemporary Mm -hmm. gender dynamics, which made me realise that we still kind of think about romance in the same way. Mm -hmm. So what I remember about that play was that it was sort of half play and half commentary, right? They kept mm, sort yes. of jump, jumping out to different sort of adaptations and takes. They did a little TED Talk parody moment, um, mm. and they had some scenes where the same actors who were playing the characters of the novel itself also played secondary school students studying the novel. That's fun. So in fact, they were kind of doing what we do here on the show, of mm. drawing links between the text and its cultural context and all that stuff. But you see, I think you can do that with Pride and Prejudice in a way that you can't with many other books, in that it just is so incredibly canonical in the sense of having this this huge body of works based on it and inspired by it, you know, from Bridget Jones' diary to um, the films and the many TV adaptations... And, and okay. you know, Claire only... and I are making eye contact there because no, no, I was agreeing. Please oh, continue. Right. I didn't know that Bridget Jones was was it specifically. Inspired He's by called yeah. Mr. Darcy. Yeah, it's like a modern. It's meant to be a modern retelling of them. Um... Oh, okay. Except the mother runs away instead of the daughter. And what does the, that say? Um, and and um and mm. what's his name? Oh God, the antagonist. The antagonist. Julio. Um, no, 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 no. Wickham. Wickham. Wickham, Wickham runs off with his ex-wife instead of with his... Um... We should, okay, we should probably introduce ourselves to, like, new listeners, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, optimistically, we might have some new listeners, so I'm And then Thomas. let's introduce who Jane Austen actually is mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, we're all siblings, and I'm Thomas, and I'm the youngest one. I'm Izzy, I'm the troubled middle child. I'm Claire, I'm the oldest, and I boss everyone around very ineffectually. And together we make up this. (laughs) It's not that deep, the podcast where we yell about fiction. So, who is Jane Austen? I feel like she is... She's an author who has to bear this massive burden, right? Because she's she's a female author at a time when women were subjugated. And so everyone's looking in her writing, which is six romance novels. That's what it is, six mm-hmm. romance novels. Yeah. Everyone's looking in her writing for, like, the genesis of feminism. But then, on the other hand, she's a woman of her time who only wrote about... Now, generally poor gentlewomen, but still these upper-middle-class women, these minor nobles. And so then you'll get people saying, oh, you know, she was of her time. She just wrote women in these very restricted roles who whose life goal was to get married and have kids, and that was all they wanted. And we find out very little from her books about, you know, how anybody poorer than these upper-middle-class women who, oh, no, we don't get to live in a mansion anymore. And so... And then we find out that one of her protag's fathers was a slave owner. And so there's this massive pressure of of the critics on her books, right? Everyone's looking for their own thing, for proof of their own thing, for, like, the definition of an age in her writing. But then what's the actual writing itself? Why do people read and enjoy and talk about these novels? So maybe we can get into that. Okay. So mm. the reason I enjoyed Pride and Prejudice, only Austen I've read. Yeah, um, let's so let's go through and say which Pride and, which uh, Jane Austen novel we like the best, Thomas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Pride and Prejudice. I think it sort of started out slowly because it it kind of takes its time introducing all of the characters before they really do much. So I was like, oh, okay, so we've got like Elizabeth and Jane and like their family and kind of. Everyone in the family who isn't Elizabeth and Jane is kind of annoying. And now there's also this guy called Darcy, and he seems like a bit of an annoying guy as well. <laughs> um, but the, the, I, I came for the obligation of having to talk in the podcast, and I stayed for Eliza Bennet being a savage. Like, at mm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It is, like, just so honestly so fun to watch her run circles around people who are way higher status than her. Is it favourite favorite Austin? Favourite Austin. Um so I I do love Pride and Prejudice and I do quite like Emma as well. But there was a but, um, which is that my favourite would have to be Persuasion. Ooh. Just because um, I'm Can you give slightly... us a quick summary of the plot of Persuasion? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Persuasion is the only Jane Austen novel that features a middle aged protagonist, uh, which is um, a woman who um, whose name eludes me, but she... Anne, right? Anne, yes, Anne, thank you. Anne, who um, was courted by a poor uh, Navy captain in her youth and then turned him down because her dick family um, made her. And then he comes back having made his fortune when they're both middle-aged and she thinks that surely he can't love her anymore after she dumped him. But secretly he's carried a torch for her all these years and after many, many shenanigans then he writes her this incredibly passionate love letter, very, very passionate compared to like the usual Jane Austen stuff. Um, it actually like, it's one of the few works of fiction that's ever made me like books that's ever made me cry just cause it's really like, it's very, very like slow burn. And then they get married at the end. And it's like, 
it's it's a lot more sincere, kind of like sincere and like heartfelt feeling than Pride and Prejudice, which is kind of like you know basically just really fun. I mean, everyone is so repressed in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, so, I mean they are in this persuasion as well, but it's definitely like it's more. It feels more sincere somehow. It feels almost more like gen- like genuine wish fulfillment for Jane Austen. So Jane Austen herself talked about how Pride and Prejudice was her most popular novel, but she said maybe it's too bright and sparkling. Some critics say that it's too bright and sparkling, like too manic. And I think that's fair enough. And some other novel of mine is more mature. And mostly I was thinking, oh, stop being so prudish and anti-hedonistic. What do you mean it's bright and sparkling? It's bloody brilliant. But I guess that's kind of what you're saying, that Pride and Prejudice Mm. is just how clever can we be at every turn and persuasion's more heartfelt. Yeah, and I think in terms of sort of, you know, the substance, not just the sort of back and forth banter, but, you know, the substance of what happens. If you want to come at it from like a admittedly sort of like quite old-fashioned feminist perspective it's this idea of a woman choosing her own partner and people you know growing and changing and being allowed second chances like women especially being allowed second chances at romance when they're past you know their initial you know debut into society which I think and in that sense I do feel like it is a bit more it take even though it's more sort of subdued it does take more chances in a sort of in terms of the themes it tackles than than Pride and Prejudice does, potentially. Tell us about the toddler removal scene. Oh, okay, so there's this scene where, like, the brat nephews of Anne are being, um, being brats. And, um, Captain Wentworth, the dashing naval captain that I was talking about before, comes over and lifts them bodily off her, where they've been kind of clinging to her skirts, and, um, and kind of, you know, makes them stop being so brattish. And... And it's kind of, it's a, it's a classic, like, hot dad scene. You're like, oh my god. Well, he's intervening in the childcare without being asked. Well, yeah, right? exactly. You know, he's a, he's a modern man. He's a, he's a new man, mm-hmm. is Captain Wentworth. And, it's, and he's also, you know, the whole way through, he's, seen, he's portrayed as this incredibly kind of, like, caring... Um, he's kind of, he's a classic, he's a bit like Mrs. Darcy, actually. He's this, like, has a bit of a brusque exterior, but then underneath, he's got this heart of gold. Now, it seems to me that if you ask, was Jane Austen a feminist? You're kind of asking the wrong question because feminism hadn't been invented yet. Much better to ask if, and of course our our sensibilities of our culture hadn't been invented yet, much better to ask if Jane Austen presents women in a way that we find how dare you? <laughs> I just saw that you shared a picture of me on the group chat. I've said multiple times that I would. I know, I know, I know. In a way that we find... Oh, guys, that was it's not that. In a way that we find... Yes? Humanistic and realistic and sympathetic, in short, treating the women like people, which I've been told is the radical belief of feminism. So, one thing that strikes me, I'm going to jump in mm. and give my kind of bland take. You're a piney <laughs> on. Okay. Can yes. I give a bland take, very quick bland take first, which yeah, is sure. that I just do feel quite like Jane Austen was quite a proud heterosexual. You know, you get that impression. She never married, though. Yeah, but... Yeah, but, but the pining. But the pining. You mm. know, either she was very, very fine to the back of the, you know, um, garde robe, or she was... <laughs> 
Means closet in French. Okay, so um, was yeah. she, she querying heterosexuality <laughs> by, by refusing mean, to get she, married? She and lords instead... and handmaids. So, um, I want to say that like there, there's definitely the theory, right, that Jane in Pride and Prejudice is like herself in certain where she gets to have the perfect like romance with the perfect mm. man. Yeah, is that something you've come across? Yeah, well, maybe, maybe. Mm. So yeah, my my take is that like Pride and Prejudice is very convenient as a story in that everyone that we are meant to care about ends up in like the right place for how much we care about them. Yeah. As in there's the A couple of Elizabeth Bennet, who is to be fair the best, um, and Mr. Darcy, who we're meant to be really invested in and they get like their perfect relationship. And then there's the slightly more boring but still very happy be a couple of Jane and Mr. Bingley. Yeah. Yeah. And then the two characters who are respectively a jerk and an idiot also end up together. Yeah, although we could talk a bit about rape culture. Holy pair, a rusty Batman. We could talk about, like, at what age can really, like, a very young and sheltered girl slash woman be considered like actually responsible for what a predatory older man does to her and jane austen like, would give us a very different answer to the one that we give each other yeah. again of its time mm. so should we come back to the favorite jane austen question before we get really into pride and prejudice and admit it's the only one we've read yeah any other any other thoughts on that um ah uh, well i need to say my favorite jane oh austen, sorry yes go, 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 go. what's your favorite first, no i had another thought to ask you okay can you talk about Louisa, the lady who Captain Wentworth almost ends up having to marry, and um, what have you, have you read her? Persuasion? I've read all the Jane Austens. I'm a true intellectual. Um, yeah, okay. I was unemployed for a very long time. Um, so Louisa is she's kind of like the the one who didn't get away, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the one um, who won't leave. so so <laughs> so Wentworth comes back um, from out of space with a sad look on his face. Um, having like won loads of booty in you know the war, and what, he, with the Spanish, um, with with various people. Um, anyway, conceding the fact, I think it was the Napoleonic Wars. But anyway, yeah, 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 that sounds right to me. Um, but anyway, so he comes back, you know, like having made his fortune, and there's this like hot girl Louise, who's um Louisa, who and her twin, who are like kind of oh you can really tell that the interchangeable woman trope has reached its height when they're twins yeah and they were twins but anyway and um she and her twin are kind of like quite like hot-headed and um unlike and kind of like the polar opposite of Anne in that they um who's all like deliberate and yeah considering she's she's like quite you know cold-blooded exercised her discretion by not marrying this guy when he was a penniless captain well yeah which is a really valid choice to make honestly oh um and and but then but then Louisa basically um gets in like a climbing accident and concusses herself. You say a climbing accident. She jumps off a seawall into Captain Wentworth's arms and he doesn't catch her in time. And she concusses herself anyway. And um and it's kind of like that she and Anne are presented as kind of like polar opposites of womanhood, if you like. And uh, Wentworth has to kind of choose between like whether he wants someone who's a bit more circumspect or whether he wants this manic pixie dream girl that he's almost kind of like built up as the the perfect woman in his head, and he chooses the like um, the um, Anne obviously. Um, the other thing that I will say while Claire has kind of handed me the mic, if you like, is that there's an excellent um, older middle aged couple in it who is this other naval captain and his wife who are both middle aged and both um according to Jane Austen like 
plain, aka ugly, and they just had like a great time. And just like they're like amazing friends, and they just like run around in like their horse and carriage, like seeing the sights and hiking. And they're like they're they're basically like relationship goals. There's all these couples with their drama, and these two are just running around having a great time. Oh, is this at the start when what what's his name, Admiral Thingy and Sophia, Sophie, his wife, Sophie? Is this when Anne's father has to rent out his mansion due to um unfavor unfavorable circumstances, but he's re- being a real dick about it. And you get some of the best satire in Austin that he yeah. he says, fine, I'll rent out my mansion, but I won't advertise it. I will mm. not advertise it. Uh, if someone happens to hear a rumour by word of mouth that I'm considering renting, then fine. Um, and then he mm. hears that a sailor, an admiral, is thinking about renting his the mansion. cell in all of East Anglia. <laughs> <laughs> And he and he says, um, "Oh no, I can't have an ugly man renting my house." And sailors are also suntanned. Um, and then they have to reassure him that he's he's a little bit weather beaten, but he's not tanned or whatever. He's a terrible. He's just a bad man. Yeah. This is what Anne has to deal with, right? This is why Anne doesn't think that she's allowed happiness. Anyway, is this the plain guy with his fun wife? Yeah. And they just go like scampering about the countryside. They just. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, I just find it so enti- like entertaining slash horrifying slash proof that Jane Austen is not a feminist, which is a question I reject, but whatever. Um, that like the example of Louisa being impetuous and reckless is she jumps off a wall. You know, the mind boggles. Yeah. It's like now a reckless impetuous uh I can't think of anything. Have her like injure herself in a stupid way. It is pretty ridiculous. Mm. Um, um but what's your no, favourite no Jane Austen? does anything like quite as like no immediately have... stupid as that in Pride and Prejudice, I don't think. But Lydia does sleep with a guy she hasn't married. <gasps> we don't know that they sleep together. Oh come mm. on. Um but what's That's your favourite a bit different from jumping off a seawall. What's your favourite Jane Austen novel, Claire? Okay. And it probably is Pride and Prejudice, but I, w- I wouldn't say this is my favourite. But what I do know is that Mansfield Park is most people's least favourite because it's, I mean, all Jane Austen novels are Cinderella stories about a poorer, poorer woman who marries a richer man. But Mansfield Park is the most Cinderella story one, where there's this poor relation who gets taken in by her richer family, but then she's not accepted by them. And she is, you know, it's not that she has to literally do the, short, do the chores, but she's the Cinderella of the family. But then she falls in love with, I can't even remember if it's her adopted brother, which... Or if it's some other other guy, but you know, it's about her being like the butt of everybody's cruelty until finally this man sees the purity in her, and it's that you know that fantasy of like wumping the hero and making them go through all this miserable humiliation until finally someone comes and rescues I'm not them. Sure I've read Mansfield Park. Actually. Well, exa- everyone says it's the most forgettable, but it kind of resonated with me. I didn't, you know, mo- um. The reason I'm acting all intellectual about this is because I read like the introductions at the fronts of my copies and the introduction said, oh, most people can't stomach Fanny, the heroine of Mansfield Park, because she's such a Cinderella and she's such a victim until she finally gets the guy at the end. But sometimes I just want to see the person like like get whipped into a lather of sympathy for the protagonist until finally it all turns around and the protagonist gets what they deserve. So... I'm not saying it's my favourite, I'm saying it probably ranks higher for me than for a lot of readers. Um, right. There's also this really comic 
a comic to the reader, not intended to be comic, interlude in Mansfield Park where they decide to put on a play and then the guy with the slave plantations in Antigua comes back as they're in the middle of putting on this play and finds, like, one of the male guests on his knees, quote, passionately making love, unquote. They mean, like, flirting mm. with one of the the ladies of the house, but in, in their roles as characters. And the evolution of language a thing. It sure is a thing. Euphemisms become more scandalous than the originals. Mm. Um, but he's like, what is this, you know, theatre going on in my house? I've decided to be a Puritan, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which is really ironic because Jane Austen's actual real family used to put on plays among themselves all the time. So scholars wonder, you know, why did Jane Austen suddenly decide this was a bad thing? Mm. So, like, is it definitely framed as we're meant to agree with this guy? Yeah, it's pretty not... much. Like, uh, they've okay. been um, basically abusing his hospitality by doing this play and taking it as an excuse to act out all these scandalous behaviours while he wasn't there. And uh, Oh, and Fanny wasn't involved, which is how we can tell she's good. Shall we get back on to Pride and Prejudice? Can I talk about Emma just a tiny bit more? Yeah, sure, because I think we we want to have all of the Pride and Prejudice stuff clumped together, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, if you have anything anything else you need to say about. Um, So Emma is about... uh, She's kind of dark Lizzie Bennet, would you say, is he? Yeah. Um, you know, she's she's the mistress of a house because she's her father's only daughter and her mum's dead, but she's not married yet. And unlike Lizzie, she's rich. So she mm. thinks she's the boss of everything. Mm. And then she tries to get her poorer friend together with some rich guy and dissuades her from some poorer guy, uh, which is actually terrible because she's encouraging her poor friend to shoot above her station. And the poor friend should have been very happy to marry a yeoman farmer or whatever. Um, so a little bit of class in there. Um, but I find Emma interesting because we've talked about how they're all gentlemen's daughters in straightened circumstances, but still gentlemen's daughters. Um, but in Emma, we start to see what actually happens if, you know, what would happen to these women if some Mr. Darcy didn't come and sweep them off their feet. Because mm-hmm. um, there's this old lady who lives with her spinster daughter in like a couple of rooms who you know they're still of Emma's social class but they're very impoverished and Emma like goes and sends them some salt pork and like takes care of them and does some charity for them so we actually see what these lower class people look like Mm. and actually isn't persuasion the same that they have to move out of the family mansion and live with Is is that persuasion yeah yeah um in Pride and Prejudice the big fear is that these five daughters estate will be taken from them and entailed away to a man and they'll lose their fortune in persuasion that actually happens right and the daughters all have to move into this little cottage yeah no no they don't have to move into a cottage no they don't no is it is that am i thinking okay i'm thinking of sense and sensibility yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i i remember so as i was reading pride and prejudice like the extent of the stakes here are are they going to stay in the social class where they never have to do anything. Like, the, it seems like the worst thing that could befall this family is that they'll, like, move down into, like, the people who actually to do stuff fair, in society. Like, yes, but then they would, they might die. I mean, How? yeah, but, like... They might get smallpox. I mean, yeah, but anyone could get smallpox. Anyone Queen get Elizabeth smallpox. the I got smallpox. Yeah, but like, that Jane, was 200 years earlier. Jane almost dies from a fever because she insists on, like, walking... Because her mother makes her yeah, ride... Yeah, but at least she wears a nice... Just at the time. <laughs> um, um, so, okay, so shall we officially move on to talking about Pride and Prejudice and its adaptations? Mm. Yeah. So, 
Pride and Prejudice, I have consumed the book and I have consumed the 1995 TV show. Give us um, a synopsis, Thomas. Okay, so there's this family called the Bennets, and the ones that we care about most are the oldest two daughters, Jane and Elizabeth, and their dad wasn't very responsible with his money and his assets when he was a younger man because he kind of just assumed he'd have a male heir, a male heir who would inherit what was left, but then surprise he only had five daughters and no sons, so now his home is going to be entailed away to, like, a relation, a brother or cousin yeah, or something. Yeah, entailing basically means there's rules about how you can will it. You can't just leave it to whoever you want. So there's a rule attached to Mr Bennett's estate that it has to go to the nearest male heir. He can't mm. just decide to give it to his eldest daughter or mm. whatever. Yeah, And the only way to, like, avoid his daughter's ending up with essentially nothing except a, like, really small kind of... Um, whatever he's saved up, Yeah, what, which whatever is he's saved up, which really isn't anything, they have to suddenly, like, take on the responsibility of finding themselves husbands, which Mr. Bennett is really unhelpful about, and he kind of treats the whole thing as sort of funny and a joke, and isn't it entertaining that all of the women in my family, my wife included, take this so seriously, because I think if he acknowledged that, like, it really is serious, then he would also have to acknowledge it's his fault they're in this position. Mm-hmm. And that would mean, like, you know, facing his character flaws rather than just being irresponsible, which he's not quite ready for. Yeah, and also, like, I feel like Jamie is quite complicit in that whole process. You know what I mean? The author, she doesn't really call him out with it. No. Mm. I, mean, I think that when you're a teenager and you first read through Pride and Prejudice, mm. I first encountered it for GCSE or Year 9 English mm. or whatever then you think, oh, ha, ha, it's so funny that Mrs. Bennet cares so much about her daughters getting married when we all know that women should be strong and independent. Mr. Bennet is right for making fun of her. And then you read it through in your 20s and you realise it's not Mrs. Bennet's fault that she lives in a society where women have to get married and she only acts this way because her husband and supposed life partner isn't helping her at all. Mrs. Bennet is the hero, actually. Yeah, mm. and actually, um, one thing I would say is that in the one of the more recent adaptations, the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which was um, uh, Pride and Prejudice, but in vlog form. I've and, heard of it. Um, and Bingley became Bingley, a really, like, hot Chinese doctor guy. I love it. Um, basically, um that she wants them all to go to med school and stuff and that's seen as the equivalent so she's going after the prestigious thing that will provide yeah, for them yeah exactly she's more of like a you need, you all need to get into Yale kind of mum and but in a mm-hmm. similarly kind of over involved way mm-hmm. um, and actually shooting herself in the foot because Mrs Bennet behaves socially so poorly that she's actually ruining her daughter's chances of getting a husband yeah. not furthering them but yeah, she's exactly. still trying but she's still trying and I think that is a more that is a more thoughtful update than some updates that have been, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, so continue with your yeah. summary. So yeah. um, essentially, over the course of the story, the couple that we really care about is the second oldest daughter, Elizabeth, and this Mr. Darcy guy, who is extremely wealthy and also like an asshole. Um, but it but turns it's just because he's he, repressed. Why? He's repressed and he has this secret heart of gold and he actually falls in love with Elizabeth. And then, like, proposes but to her. But she rejects him. Yeah, she he proposes to her in the absolute worst way possible, like zero marks. He makes the whole <laughs> he makes the whole proposition about like pointing out her low social status and what a boon from the heavens it is that he's 
even dating. But he's like her. negging her, like yeah. even oh, despite your low social connections, I still can't resist you, you temptress. And she's like, <laughs> believe it or not, this was not the key to my heart. Try again, sir. Um, uh, there is absolutely Ooh. no way that I would ever. What? What is it again? Um, oh yeah, you are the last man on earth whom I could ever be. Who I could ever marry. Could ever marry. You know what I really yeah. like is when he says, uh, oh, so I, you know, I was honest and told the truth when I said that you were below my sto- social station. So uh, would your answer have been different had I flattered you? And she says, uh, no, your, um, yeah. your insults to my family merely spe- spared me any pains I might have felt in refusing you <laughs> had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good example of how savage and right Lizzie Bennett is. So she's like, I would have turned you down anyway. I'm just saying you were also rude. Yeah. Um, though, in fairness to Mr. Darcy, he does then have the glow up of the century, and like completely turns himself around and works like, on himself. Works on himself, you know, <laughs> does some reflection. Which um, leads us to that heckin' feminist analysis, which I'm yeah. the only one who keeps breaking up even though <laughs> I hate it, where people point out like, how Mr. Bennett, Mr. Darcy, sorry, takes on board Lizzie's criticisms and mm. grows and changes because mm. of them. And I it also helps that he bails, bails her family out of, like, a terrible ruining reputation ruining but the point is he he gets over his obsession with reputation right because he's Mm. at the start at the start he says oh i can't link myself to a family whose station is below my own Mm. but then he's willing to do it in this mad passion that he's in love with lizzie but then when lydia does something that we would say it was all mr bingley's fault but she runs away with mr bingley mr mr wickham's fault we would say it was mr wickham's fault but she actually would be loha but she runs away without getting married as he said and mr darcy even not knowing if lizzie is still into him gets himself involved and bails her out because he realizes it's the right thing to do so he links himself to this sordid affair he gets over his Pride, title job. Mm-hmm. So in general, in the um, Bennett family, everyone is like pretty annoying. Aside from Jane and Elizabeth, and I remember commenting that I like had trouble deciding which of them got on my nerves more. But it would generally be the one who had spoken the most recently. <laughs> so I so am one who's every... ever side who is least in the way. Every time, like there, there's a few sort of family conversation scenes, and every time you think that one of them has said the most sort of frustrating, avoiding the actual centre of the conflict and just being annoying on the sidelines thing that could be said, then another one comes up and... Just, but like, isn't it genius dialogue, though? Uh, it is, though. It's, it's, so, it's so cringeworthy because they just, like, none of them will engage with anything because they're also, like, insecure or oblivious. Or so the social mores of the time won't let them. Mm, yeah, that too. Um, like, there's, is Mary the youngest? Uh, no, she's no, the middle child. Lydia's okay. the youngest. Um, yeah. But it, it is Mary who's sort of the religious nut of the family, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And she always makes a, like, very kind of obvious and also unhelpful connection to, like, scriptural teachings whenever there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, like, it doesn't help anyone and it isn't actually as smart as she thinks So in is. the Bennett squad, we have uh, yeah. Lydia, the femme fatale who's also 16, Make of that what you uh, Lydia is 15. At least in the show. 
She's 15, she's damn 15. it. She's so tiny. She really is not She's baby. So I think we need to talk about Wickham soon. So like, put a pin in that. Okay, yeah. so we have we have baby Lydia, who should not be held accountable for her actions, but she's basically a brat. Kitty, who's kind of like... She has Lydia. no personality except to be Lydia watered down. Lydia watered down. Lydia's sort of like um, second in command, as you were. Mary, the religious nut. Jane. Well, Mary, the one who isn't as pretty or confident as any of her sisters and therefore has latched on to understanding religion and also being good at music to try and compensate for that. And we get this we get this great quote that vanity had given her application, um, but she had a, a sanctimonious air or something like that that would have injured a greater level of proficiency than she had achieved. In other words, she actually has worked at being a good musician, but she acts like she was an even better musician and ruins it. Yeah, and then we have Jane, who's like the oldest, the pretty, like the, the Mary Sue, basically. The oldest, mm-hmm. And Lizzie, who's, who's like the Angelica of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, like she's also beautiful and she's prized as a wit, but she does not have Jane's sweetness. But I think I really, I really sympathise with Mary. Like, in the in the show, there's this one scene where Lydia and Kitty say, we danced every dance and Mary none. It's like, okay, she's got spots, so then she tries to be good at the piano, and then she tries to emphasise that being good at the piano is important, and then everyone's like, ugh, Mary, you're so annoying. Yeah, Mm. it's really not fair on Mary. Yeah. Oh, well, she'll probably get a rich husband after Darcy has married Elizabeth, because then everyone wants to be in his family. So... Let's talk about the villain of the piece, Mister Wickham. Mister Wickham, who was so well cast in the TV show, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, mm. yeah, I can't um, imagine his stupid face apart from that he's, guy. Um, I don't know who that actor is, but my friend, you have a creepy face. <laughs> he's an officer, a soldier, um, and his sort of modus operandi is that he'll use his charm and charisma to ingratiate himself with a group of people in a place where nobody knows him yet then gamble and live hedonistically and rack up a bunch of debts and then just kind of go somewhere else and avoid it. Skip town. And that brings him into conflict with our main characters when he seduces and runs off with and is basically a total predator towards the youngest Bennett. And we find that he's done this before, almost, Mm. towards Mr Darcy's own sister, own little sister. Which makes it... You know, even more humiliating for Mr. Darcy when he has to then be the one to like. It's quite tightly plotted, isn't it? Because he says, you know, I didn't tell everyone that Mr. Wickham was a paedophile and a rapist because that would have involved. (laughs) That's not what he says. Because that would have. I did not make his character generally known (laughs) because that would have involved um, exposing my little sister to scandal. Mm. And as a result of that, he's been able to do the same thing again. So really, Jane Austen was talking about how we should all call out predators in our communities. And Mr. Yeah. Darcy says that that's his excuse for why he's... For someone who's not trying to make the Jane Austen was a feminist argument, you're really making the I'm, Jane Austen Okay, oh argument. man, okay. So, oh, I'm wondering whether to open this kind of worms. Okay. So there's this one novel called Metro 2033 or something, and it's a, a Russian sci-fi novel about nuclear winter has happened and everyone in Moscow has hidden in the Moscow Metro because the Moscow Metro in Russia was actually designed to be a bomb shelter. And the whole point of it is it's a dystopia, and dystopias are meant to reflect our current society. And, oh god, I should not have started this, but I'm going to finish now. Mm. Um, But we only meet, like, one seven-year-old girl and some prostitutes, and he shows us how, like, in in this 
community in the Moscow underground. There's everything. There's fascism. There's communism. There's like a black market. There's stories. He he shows how everything in human society is reflected but distorted in this future dystopia that he's imagined. But there's no women. So not only is that a bad story, that's failed at its mission because he can't imagine that society has women in it. Contrast uh, Watership Down by Richard Adams, which we've talked about, which isn't trying to reflect the whole of society accurately. It's trying to tell one adventure about a group of rabbits. So if Richard Adams wanted to come into our feminist court and say, well, the only reason I didn't include women in my story was because I didn't happen to be telling this story about any women, he could make that defence because Mm -hmm. unlike the Metro 33 guy, he's not trying to reflect the whole of society. He's just having one adventure. And yet, even though Richard Adams was not a wonderful feminist or whatever, when female rabbits do make it into this story, he shows who they actually are, their motives, because he may not be a feminist, but he's a good artist. And that means that he can't help but see the world as it really is yeah. And the world as it really is, is that women are people with motives. And engage mm. imaginatively with the concept of female yeah. people. Exactly. And, like, and what, women. What would gender dynamics look like in a rabbit society? Which exactly. Is and so Jane Austen may not be a feminist, I just do the biggest air quotes, but she's a good artist, which means that she sees the humanity of the real women she's writing about, and so she'll write them in a, in a real way. Mm-hmm. It's like a Thank you. It's like a good portrait artist who paints a woman who looks like a woman versus a heckin' comic book artist who does the boobs and butt pose, you know. Which yeah. of them can actually see the world? Yeah, I right, think that's... Yeah. Well, that's I, I see the point you're making. It took me a while, but, like, <laughs> I do. So, I, Mr. Wickham, where were we? Yeah. M- Mr. Wickham, well, I feel... I'm, I'm not sure that I had lots more to say about him immediately. I just thought, you know, it was important to touch, touch on him. And also, it's interesting how we sort of... How diff... <laughs> okay, this is a. I'm making a call out post on the podcast. Izzy won't stop Facebook reacting on her iPad. Just turn the sound <laughs> off and you get away with it, you criminal. You're an actual raccoon doing raccoon crimes. Welcome to It's Not That Deep Cringe, episode one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting how I think we all like Jane Austen and us we all recognise Mr. Wickham's behaviour as generally bad, but the way we perceive it and the language that we filter it into, like you you said he's a rapist and a paedophile. Mm-hmm. And for Jane Austen, it's... Someone it, who it, Lydia it, should he's, have seen you know, he's, a, he's a seducer and he's like he's messing with the social standing of the family. And it's, it's interesting how sort of the same thing can get sort of cast into like lots of different like what why is this bad and like perhaps we agree on why it's bad but then we come to extremely different answers and like a very family and class focused answer of well he's he's lowering the social class of this family the whole and family shame as a collective and the family is a collective which you know the less individual freedom your society can afford based on like it's sort of technological and economic level, the more the family is a unit matters. Um, And then, like, here it's more a lot more about, like, the personal level and, you know, what bad things has he done to Lydia as an individual, which is how you kind of came to it. But then has as much changed as we would claim, you know? Mm. I think in, in real life we all say that we're supposed to think about the effect on Lydia first and foremost and blame 
Wickham unequivocally. Mm. But in practice, I think we still think about the shame on the family and why couldn't the girl just realise that he was a bounder and not get taken in? Why was she so stupid? We still very much have that as a society. So, you know, let's not cast stones. (laughs) Thomas has a whole section in his document called Mm -hmm. Who Woke It Best? To get onto that section, we'd have to bring in Miss Bingley, who is a romantic rival for Elizabeth in that she has her... Uh, Not much pretty, of a rival, pretty, she's a Slytherin. Well, she, she thinks of herself as a, as yeah. a rival. Um, she's in a sort of comparable social class <laughs> to Elizabeth that has, that has so the she's environment. she's actually got that cash dollar. Yeah. Has, has, the, um, has the advantage of being more closely acquainted to, um, uh, to Mr. Darcy's family. Okay, can I be a costume fucker on Main for a minute, please? Like, the children are going to listen to this episode of our podcast, class. Are they? For their little GCSE revision? Oops. <laughs> I don't know what we that can, means. We can fix it in post. Um, okay. okay, you finish your point and then I'll be a costume fucker. Right. I'm fucking a costume right now. <laughs> okay, that's three strikes and you're out. You're out. So, yeah. Well, as MCI, well, 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 the two not that deep. This, the two sibling duo is about <laughs> Yeah, as MC, I'm commandeering this podcast and we have reached our F-bomb limit for this episode. So one advantage Miss Bingley has is closer acquaintance. And if you know also, what I mean. Shut up, Claire. And also <laughs> more money. But there's also the fact that her family has made its money in this generation through trade. Oh, Whereas, I didn't realise she was um, a nouveau riche. Yeah. And you can... Um, Whereas we've lost our money in this generation. Yeah, so through the, trade. The, the, Bennets are, the Bennets are on the verge of crashing out of their inherited wealth while the Bingleys have just come into wealth. And one hint at this is that um, Mr Bingley is renting the estate that he's living in. He doesn't own his own estate yet. Um, and that's what kicks the whole plot off, is when he moves into this new place. Anyway, yeah, who woke it best? Um, I was going to talk about how Miss Bingley manages to twist a statement that Eliza makes that is not general about women into being a general misogynistic statement. Uh, Mr. In Darcy fact, is talking about all of the accomplishments that he would demand in a female suitor. It and, wasn't even general about women. She was roasting Mr. Darcy for yeah. being unreasonable. So, mm. and, and Elizabeth says that she she doesn't she isn't sure that she can name anyone who has all of these accomplishments that he claims to require. And what she means is Mr. Darcy is being unreasonable. But then Miss Bingley comes around and says, "Elizabeth, you are denigrating the female sex by suggesting that we are incapable of such levels of accomplishment." So, like. What I'm saying here is that Miss Bingley is fake woke. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, she's she's implying it's easy to have all these accomplishments, and I do, and, and Lizzie doesn't. Please, can I read the line? Please, please, please. Yeah. Elizabeth Bennet, said Miss Bingley, when the door was closed on her, is one of those young ladies who seek to recommend themselves to the other sex by undervaluing their own. And with many men, I dare say, it succeeds. But in my opinion, it is a paltry device. A very mean art. She's accusing Lizzie of going, I'm not like other girls. I mean, in fairness, 
No. Is no. Lizzie not like other girls? I feel a little like, bit, I feel right? Like Lizzie is not like other girls, but she's not not like other girls. She's uh, she's very very there for Jane, which I think is the main thing, right? And also mm. for baby um baby Darcy. Oh, I love her being Darcy. there for baby Darcy. Um, Georgiana, that's her name. So 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 she's she's not like other girls, but only in the real sense, not in the fake sense. Actually, I Miss... also get wrecked Miss Bingley because right after that, then Mister Darcy is like. Yeah, I mean, pretty much any art that a woman employs to underhandedly recommend herself to uh, to men is mean. Fake and, and gay. Fake. And he's like, yeah, Miss Bingley, don't try and like do this backstabbing stuff to win the own. Miss like, Bingley is wheels within wheels here. <laughs> she's yeah. like she's like accusing accusing Liz of doing the thing that she's doing. Mm. Also, I get big mad about the not like other girls thing because I feel like first the girls who are like other girls, like Miss Bingley drag the girls who are like Elizabeth for not being like other girls. For example, walking across country and having their petticoats six inches deep in mud. And then the girls like Elizabeth say, I guess you're right, I'm not like other girls. Um, And then the girls like Miss Bingley turn around and say, she hates women, she says she's not like other girls. And we always talk about why the not like other girls girls want to reject their femininity, but we never talk about how mainstream femininity rejected those girls in the first place. And it's just a trick to punish gender non-conforming women. And I'm salty. Yes, we can all be salty about punishing people for being gender non-conforming. I myself have pink hair. (laughs) I was about to say I also had pink hair, and I realised it's the most gender-conforming thing I could do in my life. Is it though? Remember, normal girls, blonde hair. Girls That's like me, true. pink and That's... blue, streaky hair. Let's be um, goths. I'm going to put on black lips to freak out dad. Oh, I mean, live with my parents. We um, all live with our parents because there's a lockdown. Yeah, and if Thomas had lived alone, he'd have died. Mm-hmm. Nobody to drag his corpse. Not even a cat to eat you. So sad. Yeah, I've been perfectly preserved in my room temperature. <laughs> not to not to not to drop the fifth F bomb of the episode, but Jesus fucking Christ, kids, lighten up a little. Mm. Let's lighten up and talk about Lady Catherine de Yes, I... in her Catherine mobile. Mm. Um, and her <laughs> imperious condescension. Oh, and by extension, like douche Lord Supreme, Mister Collins, who we hate above all else. God, why isn't it a musical yet? I need it to be a musical. Uh, we do need it to be a musical. Yeah, I kind of love Lady Catherine de Bourgh because she's really, like, just Whoa. the worst kind of vibe. I mean, she just completely owns being horrible to everyone. And she she's so up in everyone's business. I kind of love it. And the fact that she's so up in everyone's business and demands that the entire world conform to her ridiculous, outmoded, classist standards just makes it all the more wonderful when we finally get to, like, the epic rap battle between her and Lizzie. And what's great is that by trying so hard to push Elizabeth away from Mr. Darcy in the final chapters, that, like, just confirms to Elizabeth that Mr. Darcy is, in fact, like, very much still into her and not engaged to her. Let's face it, if someone is actually engaged to your daughter, then you don't travel across the country to threaten another girl away from that guy. Oh, oh man, I've got a point. Lady you know, You know when you're writing fan fiction... Sadly, yes. And you write the fan fiction misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And you whip like your... Like Shrek. Yes, exactly. And you whip your characters up to a fever pitch where both of them are in love with the other, but each of them is convinced that they've lost their chance with the other and both of them are too proud to make the first move. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly the situation with Elizabeth and And now you've Darcy. got to find a way of manoeuvring them back together. Mm-hmm. And Jane Austen does that more elegantly than most. Mm-hmm. Lady Catherine says to Elizabeth, tell me that the rumour that you and Darcy are together isn't true. Tell me that you won't marry him. And Lizzie says, that's not your business. I neither confirm nor deny these rumours. 
Then Mr. Darcy hears about this and he says to Elizabeth, I knew that if you didn't want to marry me, you'd have told Lady Catherine so. So the fact that you said no comment revealed to me that actually you were I might still, still have a chance to Exactly. It's, it's like, it's just convoluted enough to be like dumb and enjoyable, but it feels, it's very tidy. I like it. It's neat. Yeah. Also, uh, the other thing I would say is that like, it confirms that, that Liz, Liz is not just fun to listen to, but also quite brave. Because yeah. Because she... She is not making an effort to ingratiate herself with this woman, even mm. though she has a, quite a few reasons to. Yeah. Um, reason one. Bloody. <laughs> unlike her cringe cousin with his fail parish. Nepotism. Oh, boy. Yeah, Mr. Collins, thinks Mr. Collins is just sad. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about when, when he's like, will you marry me, cousin? Ooh, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's legal to marry your cousin under British law. Americans need to get their heads out of their asses. Wait. Whoa! Okay. Um, so, yeah, anyway. I'm just trying to get myself making, double cancelled. Making no comment on that. You realise that being cancelled twice doesn't, in fact, cancel out. Um, oh. So, yeah, um, ah, Mr. Collins yikes. proposes to Elizabeth and she's like, hell no. And he's like, oh, I understand you're doing that thing where you say no and what you really mean is try harder. And she's like, hell, hell no. He's no. like a meninist. Yeah. He's like a P-U-A. Oh, he's so cringe. And then and Jane Austen Mrs. was already Bennett. onto him in the... Mm. And then poor, poor mum of Elizabeth is like, please just marry him. Just please do it. So we'll, love God. we'll have something. And For Elizabeth five like, minutes. Right. Could you not not marry men? For five minutes. One thing I really do like is that when things go away that Mrs. Bennet isn't expecting throughout the book, she retroactively changes her own predictions and what she's been saying to fit with it so when there's like a twist to that mr darcy who she really liked as a potential suitor because he was rich for one of her daughters turns out to be an asshole she's like uh well mr darcy and i think she does it for both of them she's like oh you should really try to get with mr darcy and then and with mr bingley and when that seems to not work out she's like well i was saying from the start that they were both which is infuriating but better than her banging on like why didn't you get them they were perfect yeah Mm. and then right right at the end when like out of nowhere when it seems like they've hated each other the entire time elizabeth and mr darcy turn out to be in love and get engaged i think that is what finally does it for mrs bennett and she's just like I never saw this coming. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time that she hasn't gone back and like changed her own stance. Yeah, she's just like, events, she's so like, you know what, good... I'm going to come clean with you guys. Mm-hmm. Also, one thing I it's like about the finale is that Mr. Bennett does at least somewhat acknowledge that he's been a dick. Um, while I'm jumping wildly to completely unrelated media to make mm-hmm. my feminist points, mm-hmm. would you like to hear my like men with a stance who screw over their families point? Oh, yes. we're going to talk about Oh, yes, Killer yes, Mocking. I think yeah. this is very important. We're going to talk about Harry Potter and Killer Mockingbird. Oh, my gosh, you remember my point. I love you so much. Yeah. Oh. So, you know Mr. Weasley? Who, I'm like, going to take the role of the audience and say, I know of him. From Harry Potter, mm-hmm. who is interested in muggle artefacts no matter what anybody thinks, and stands mm-hmm. up for muggle rights no matter what anybody thinks. And as a result, he never gets promoted and his family have to live in poverty. And you know Atticus Finch, who decides to defend a black man in court, and as a result, his children get abuse hurled at them every day, and he never says to them, 
hey, kids, I'm sorry that you have to go through this, but here's why. Mm-hmm. And they're both men who are devoted to a cause. Yeah. And the cause is good and right, and they should be devoted to it. But they're totally blind to how that cause is reflecting on their family. And, like, I feel uncomfortable saying this because, okay, the the, the wizarding thing is fake. It's not real social justice. Yeah. It's fantasy. The race thing very much isn't. But, like, you know, I think if if you want to fight racism and that results in your children getting flack, you know, that's the price to pay. But you should at least acknowledge that it's a price. Mm-hmm. And I think history is full of great men, quote-unquote, who absolutely did not care how their wife and their children were suffering while they were all proud of themselves for fighting for the great cause. Mm. And yeah. Mr. Bennett is worse than either Mr. Weasley or Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird because he's not even fighting to improve the whole... He's against the whole, oh, we have to jockey for position socially and get a, and get a husband thing. And he thinks it's all nonsense and he's mm. right. But it's nonsense that you have to participate in if you don't want to be destitute. Yeah. And he refuses. And if you don't want your children to be destitute. Exactly. And he thinks he's so clever because he personally refuses to participate. And mm. he won't acknowledge how that hurts his family. Yeah, and I think it's, it's like, at least, you know, it's not even like he's doing it out of any, like, high-minded ideals necessarily. He it's just finds just it annoying. It's just because he can't be bothered. Exactly. And Lizzie yeah. finds it annoying and can't be bothered, but because she's a woman. Lying. She actually deals with the consequences of it, yeah. unlike him. She has to lie in whatever bed Mr. Bennett makes for her. So oh, like, she has grim. to go off and she has to like go off and do all of the social Except she doesn't anyway. have to lie in that bed, quite literally. She turns down Mr. Collins and hang the consequences and fairy yes. godmother okay. Jane Austen mm. comes for her and helps yeah. her because this is a fact. Yeah, she puts her life in the hands of the author and the author makes it work for her. One thing that when I was reading Pride and Prejudice I struggled a bit with is because like family is so important that most of the characters most of the time are being referred to by surnames unless first names are absolutely necessary to mm-hmm. like make it clear at the textual level like who's speaking so there's a lot of early times where we just have to assume that Miss of whatever family is the oldest unmarried one, and I wasn't already aware of that convention. Mm. And then if there's only one character of the family, like, in the scene at the moment, she will always be Miss, and little things like that that made Mm -hmm. it kind of hard to follow who was doing what at the start. And I think as well, to begin with, it's not clear who's going to matter. Like, there's kind of the entire Bennett family and a few acquaintances are all being thrown at the wall right away, and... Once you know that Elizabeth and Jane are the ones you really need to focus on, it's fine. But at the start, trying to figure out sort of who's important, who's being talked about, and who you really need to pay attention to. Mm. It's really interesting to see how the, difficult. the art of the novel has become this well-oiled machine with all of these conventions mm. that weren't there in the early days of the novel. And yet, I'd say that the Jane Austen novels are much better, much more well-oiled machines by our standards than some other novels of the time, which, you you, you know, like the plot is a lot crispier by modern standards than Mm. some contemporary Mm. novels, which brings me to my wrapping up question. Yes, ask it. Why is Jane Austen remembered? We've talked about how, you know, on the one hand, they've got all these strong female characters on the other, they're a bit trite and they're all about getting married and how it's really Lydia's fault. Why do we still care? 
Because um, there was this thing where like Colin Firth walked out of the lake and his shirt was sticking to his abs. Okay, but why did they make that film? <laughs> also, like I've seen the Colin Firth scene, it was very underwhelming. But then again, I have I have seen the scene where Chris Evans came out of the Captain America pod with his abs oh, and Haley and Haley Atwell freak. But my my point is, my taste buds have been deadened by that scene. The first cohort who saw the Colin Firth shirtless scene, not shirtless, not even shirtless, the Colin Firth wet shirt scene, they hadn't been like slapped in the eyeballs with I Chris Evans' abs like yet. The 90s. Exactly. exactly. They, they were, so it was they a pure and more innocent time. Oh, People were easier to get going. <laughs> um, cancel me. Cancel me. She's really cancel racking up the cancellations this episode, isn't she? I think it's because Schadenfreude is powerful and there's a lot of it. Oh, I love prejudice. that energy on you, Thomas. We love seeing characters cut other characters down to size and get cut down in turn when they deserve it. It, it it all sort of goes around and comes around I think in the book like there's times when Elizabeth gets like caught out in having been judgmental and stuff there's times when pretty much everyone gets like that oh. but like it all comes to a head when it's like Lady Catherine who's the untouchable like matriarch of the whole operation oh, can we <laughs> We've talked about Getting pride. We've talked about Darcy's pride. Can we talk about Lizzie's prejudice real quick? Yes. Talk so about maybe this prejudice. is just because I was a naive fourteen-year-old when I first encountered the book and the show, mm. but mm. I remember really liking Mister Wickham when he first appeared. I liked and him as well when the play, did. which was the first time I'd. Okay, so it's the not story. just me being naive. And yeah. he says, "Oh, uh, Mister Darcy and I have some kind of drama, but I'm not going to say anything about it. I don't want to make a scene." And then when we learn what a rat he is, Lizzie realises, wait, he did bring up the drama. And then he said he wouldn't bring it up to, like, milk what a good person he was. Mm. And that's Lizzie's yeah. prejudice, that she assumes Mr Darcy is a bad person yeah. just because he comes across as rude at first. Just because he's, just he's cold and reserved and socially awkward, poor guy. But then so is she. Yeah. Also, yeah. I feel sorry. Like, all they've got to do is, like eat the food that they can get and like play cards and sit and read and like listen to music and dance in a very unclubby way one more link to a totally different bit of media mm-hmm. um so i love folk dancing but i've done playford dancing which is the jane austen dancing which is like the kind of dancing i like but slowed down and i love folk dancing but playford is unbearable uh, and that's the kind of dancing that they do in Austin. Uh, so I read Anna Karenina, which is set in like maybe the 1890s. It's a yeah, so novel about the Russian aristocracy uh-huh. and this woman who's unhappily married and then she has an affair with this guy. And meanwhile, but she can't divorce her husband because divorce isn't a thing unless you can prove adultery and then the adulterer can't get married again, only the cheated on guy can. And meanwhile, there's this guy who's trying to discover the meaning of life and he looks at his hard-working peasants and he realises blah, 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 blah. And I got like a, th- a third or half way through this novel and I thought, if any of you fuckers had worked a day in your life, <laughs> you would not be worrying about any of this bullshit. Also, just liberate women and have some divorce laws. No fault divorce. I've solved everything in this novel. Mm. Bye. And it's, <laughs> you know, I think that was the vibe you got off Jane Austen. Well... Like, yeah, a bit, but I, 
I also sort of appreciated that, you know, Jane Austen was writing about the society in which she found herself. But then so which, was Tolstoy. Yeah, so I But I Tolstoy was higher like, up in that society. He had a telling yeah. further up his own ass. To I the point maybe, that he maybe, himself realised that he did later in life and denounced all his formal work. But okay. that's a story for another day. But I, I was going to say may, maybe gender does matter here. And, you mm. know, like Jane Austen being a woman, women were getting the short end of the stick as a Even result if it was a long things. stick. Yeah, it, it it was a long story, you know, like she was she was in a wealthy class and some of the characters that she wrote about, but you know, at the end of the day when you're in a society where like most people have to work to like keep themselves alive day to day and birth control doesn't exist and stuff, then like there's only so much you can do towards dismantling these annoying like social structures that mm. you all kind of hate yeah. going back to your original question which is which is why you also like it now and i think what you were saying before about about it just being a really really good sparkling piece of art is really bright sparkling it's yeah. really true like but not even so much the, the 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 brightness of it but the um the way that it it reflects human nature in mm. such a like concentrated um we all know a bitch way. from church even if we don't have the same roles anymore yeah you right? know obviously i'm not i'm not saying like necessarily that there's some like innate human nature that resonates with everyone blah blah but i do think that you know there's some deep stuff in in at least you know like british slash western anglophone culture that has not changed that much I mean, in like terms I of our humor with Oh, in terms of our humour. And in yeah. terms of our, you know, like, uh, the the back of our mind, like, what we expect from a romance, which, you know, has not changed that much in 200 years, and we st- it still strikes a chord with us. Mm-hmm. And I think, as as you said, like, a true artist can create something which is just... It's like it's like someone like um, Dura or someone just doing a really good picture with, of a really, like, lively animal or, or a really good portrait. You just, even if it's even if maybe they meant something differently by it than how you're interpreting it, you still get something from it because it's just really bloody good. I mean, Jane Austen wrote about a man who changed himself based on a woman's criticism, right? And we can have all the fancy advanced feminist theory in the world, but it still comes down to figuring out the basic things that people need, one of which is we want people to fix the things that we criticise. That's not that complicated, right? We don't need to be living in the 21st century to realise that. We just have to have the keen eye of an artist like Jane Austen to articulate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, like, what do we owe to each other? Which is um, Chidi's big question. In The, the Good place, place, which yeah. was the second episode we did, right? Third? Yeah, I, we, we definitely covered it pretty early on. And, like, that... It's interesting, like, how many different big, big ways of viewing the world, like, kind of feminist or, or like, criticising literature in, like, like, Marxist theory or queer theory or feminist theory sort of comes down to pretty basic questions, like, what's, what's a decent thing to do? Like, what do we want in our lives? What, what are, like, the basic needs that we have as humans? And, like, you can put a specific reading on that. Mm. Like, in, in the end, Pride and Prejudice is about people managing to avoid horrible things happening to their like families and their children and finding true love and it's like oh that's we're not like, too feminist to want true love yeah mm. like it's gonna take a whole lot of crisper dna editing before that stops resonating with people i think um and scene and i think scene so 
yeah, that's my final take. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, loosely structured <laughs> episode of It's Not That Deep. And hopefully you won't have to wait an entire another year for the next one. Let's commit to doing one next month. What are we doing next month? Ooh, Alex Ryder, take two of the TV show Boogaloo. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay. Crash landing on you. Crash okay, landing crash landing on you. on you. Next time, maybe some Korean dramas, possibly a short mention of, and summary of the Alex Ryder TV show. Conceivably. Like, a just, miniseries. Just to share some thoughts on mini-series it. Miniseries on the miniseries. Next episode, K-drama, crash landing on you. Right, we will see you then, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>